and welcome to Turtle Tracks Podcast. This is your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here with Eric Allard, Rick Stratton, and Dwight Roberts, some of the main parts of the Creature Effects team from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. You know, before going much further, uh, you can't see this on the podcast, but Eric is wearing a shirt of a deceased member of the team. Brent Armstrong, the beloved friend. I met through Rick, and uh, he was one of the sculptors. Who did he sculpt? He sculpted Raphael. He sculpted Raphael for the... And a lot of other stuff that you've seen over the years in other movies. Can you guys explain what each of you did for the movie so we can kind of go from there, just so the audience understands? Yeah, well, I'll start out. I I was the creature effects supervisor, and um, we uh, basically... Um, uh, through, a, I think it was a contact to Rick's, we got approached to do a bid. <clears throat> and um, I, the, Terry Morse was the production manager and line producer, and he, he came to meet with us. And um, I, I told Terry, I said, you know, I'm a big fan of the work, for one thing, uh, and uh, it takes a lot of effort to come up with a comprehensive bid for something this bid. Big, and I just don't want to be the guy that you're using to try to beat the Henson group down, you know? And he kind of, he, he went off. He, he had, he had a problem with them for some reason. He, he said, no, we're going to do it here in LA. We don't have to go out of the country to do it. And so if you want a chance, you got to do a bid. So we did a bid and we ended up getting the work. Oh, because Henson is based in. Well, they had their creature shop in London at the time. Right. And they they shot this in Oregon? Is that right? Yes. Astoria, Oregon. Okay. Because I didn't know that. Up, I just spoke to um, uh, Sab Shimono, who played uh, the bad guy in the movie. Mm-hmm. And he said it was all in Oregon. I didn't realize that that's where it was filmed. So, And then this is Rick Stratton. He was the uh, assistant creature effects supervisor, or I guess they were co-creature effects supervisor. And okay. I was involved with the cosmetics of what the outsides, what the skins would look like for all our creature effects. Because I'm a makeup artist. Right. And uh, so makeup effects is, is my specialty. And so we've worked together on projects. And I was the, what he uh, endearingly calls the skin hanger. Yeah, his skin hangers. I needed to get it. When I got the uh, show Class of 1999, um, I didn't really hardly had ever done any creature work. We made a little maquette for the blob of the girl in the phone booth and stuff. But, um, uh, you know, so I was looking for somebody and I was interviewing people and Rick and I hit it off. And, you know, we worked together a lot after that, you know, ever since. Yeah, for like 10 years while I had all effects company going in North Hollywood. Skin hanger is such a, like, that's a, like a Buffalo Bob kind of term. No, it's just, uh, you know. (laughs) I have undue, uh, untold respect for what these guys do. You know, my my connection for this came from uh, a makeup artist called Dan Streepeck, okay. who was who was the head of makeup at 20th Century Fox for a while when they did the original Planet of the Apes shows movie. Oh. And his partner at the time, John Chambers, did all the pro- prosthetics. Who I had gotten into the union with John Chambers, and. Yeah. This kind of came about because I was working on a, a, a day check show on some sitcom that we were doing age makeups and Dan Streepek and I hit it off. And he was old friends with Terry Morse, who had also been at Fox for a short time as the head of, uh, of production there. And uh, so unbeknownst to me, Dan Streepek pitched me to uh, to Terry Morse as far as someone that could be into doing this show and when i heard about it when eric told me about it i thought well this is like some kids thing i was working on uh, with francis coppola francis ford coppola on the dracula movie oh wow uh, stoker's dracula at the time it's like i'm working on this big high profile thing i'm you know one of the three main makeup artists on it and you, you want me to quit this to come do a a, a kid's show I, I really didn't know much about it at the time sure but talked about it and talked about how difficult it would be and the fact that it was going to be like a nine-month job i think it was and uh we were two-thirds or three-quarters of the way done with dracula so we only had a few weeks to go on it so 
maybe this is time to jump ship and, and go do the, the kids show. But it turned out to be a lot more complicated than that. Not to mention um, that we didn't get to see any of the work that was done previously. Except Not, in the films or photographs. Right. We didn't get it. We had to do everything from scratch, including the performance capture system, which uh, which I have a pretty good story about. But continuing with the introductions, this is Dwight Roberts. He was one of our lead mechanical techs and uh, okay. worked a lot on the heads. Yeah. So, I was uh, I was brought in at all effects on alienation to do the Gibson Dance. Sorry. No, no, no problem. Hey man, I'm in a Zoom meeting. I'll call you back. Yes, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yes. No, no, no problem. So I, I worked started working with Eric on uh alienation doing the mechanics on the alien baby the tv show the tv, right. uh, the TV show yeah yeah which rick was the is the uh emmy award-winning uh make you know creature effects supervisor on make, that, makeup, you know, effects. makeup effects to throw out some credits too i mean all effects was also the ones responsible for the energizer bunny uh johnny five uh right. eric i spoke to you previously about johnny five that's how i know you but yeah. um I, I guess to get this all kicked off can you so what was your understanding of why the Henson team didn't do the third movie? Because I know it's, well, you're not privy to all of it, but I'm curious. Well, I, I pretty much am. In fact, it's it's a really good story, which I've been dying to get out there because I want to set the record straight. Um, we were approached. We didn't know anything about, we were both fans of the movie. We thought, wow, why couldn't we ever get a show like that? You know? And uh, we were approached by Terry and I told you, I, I said, I, I don't believe, you know, you've, you've spent $30 million to make two movies that have made 200 and you're going to replace the stars of the movie, you know, right. He was just really upset. And, and, and I think I know why, um, because although their performance system that they used to puppeteer everything with was in concept was just brilliant. Technically, it was really crap. I mean, it, it had a lot of bugs in it. Whoever the electronics guy was who was trying to realize Jim's vision of this great system, just it, it was problematic. And in fact, I had been contacted by Disney a couple of years before to replace them on dinosaurs. And, um, and I said, well, you know, so they, they brought me in to to go and see what they were doing and i saw what they were doing and i said yeah we could build that stuff but you know you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars this isn't anything it's not like we can just walk in there and plus the, the it has so much interference because the eyes were always twitching you know servos what they do if they're getting interference it was it would take them like five takes to get one clean one you know so terry was pretty upset about it and but he told me that in getting this, in doing this bid, the Henson Group had the right of first refusal, where they were going to get a look at my budget and my technical writing uh, of approach and decide if they wanted to do the movie or not. Well, about uh, literally a week before we were approached by by uh, Terry Morris, I was at a uh, Oscar uh, Technical Achievement Award ceremony where we had put one of our robots up. And the Hanson group had their puppets from uh, the dinosaurs. And it was for uh, uh, animatronic um, control uh, award. And so we they went up there and did their thing. And it was great, except for all of the interference you could see clearly. But still, just, you know, the way they could get the expressions and everything was great. Um, and then we did our thing. And I thought, you know, this is like a new comedian following you know, Jay Leno or something is, is going to be tough. Well, we, we did our thing. And I had with me Bob Wilcox, who was the uh, uh, electronics guru of all effects for, for a few years and, and, and on Ninja Turtles. And one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And he asked the question, how do you do the splining when, you know, you have the expressions are able to, work individually or together with other. How do you do that? And the guy who was the electronics guy, a son English chap, and he 
he just puts us down and goes, see those things you have in your hand? Those are toys. We couldn't use, we had to build our own computers. We couldn't even use American made computers because they didn't, we had to use English, you know, and he's just going on like this. It was kind of, I was embarrassed for him and for me. And Bob and I just kind of looked at each other and Bob went, okay. You know, well, literally like three days later, we get the call from Terry. And, you know, I'm talking to Rick about it. I call Bob. I said, Bob, you'll never guess what you get a chance to do, you know. So we did. We took it. And there was no, you know, we didn't, I didn't spy on their stuff. I saw it once at the, at the Oscar show. But they had done an article in Cinema Fantastique, I think it was. Okay. And, and it had pictures of the form function of the thing. So I just didn't saw what I saw and I said, we're going to build that only with good electronics. And that's basically what we did. It works so good and looks so much like theirs, although ours was completely self-contained, battery powered. You could take it anywhere. You pop the top off. If you go to ALLFX channel on YouTube, you'll see there's a thing called the TMNT3 controller. You can see what it was. Um, it just, it, 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 I will I'll send you a picture of the thing. It worked great and it was flawless. There was just no interference at all. It was really remarkable. And, um, you know, you could do whole lists. So we basically followed their form function and their concept, which took them years to come up with, I'm sure. And in four months, wrote software that was operating on Windows 3 and um, and made these things work. And they're fabulous. It worked so good that w knowing that when we when I was doing the bid, knowing we had to come up with something like that, because that was key, critical. They said, you have to be able to come up with a performance system like theirs. Um, and knowing that they had right of first refusal, when I wrote the bid and got to the section of how we were going to do the telemetry, I just came up with the most Rube Goldberg, never would work concept of taking Futaba radios apart and we'll have a switchboard operator who can plug in different things. You know, I just made it sound so ridiculous. And I just, my, my calculus was this electronics guy is going to look at this thing and tell him, oh, don't worry, we can pass on it and we're going to get uh, you know, they're going to come to us uh, a month ahead of production, begging us to take it over, you know, and that's literally what happened. And, and, and once it did come out and they saw our thing, they were, they were spreading the lie or the rumor or what they thought was that I had infiltrated their company and stolen their designs. This is, this is legit. And, and I was, I was upset about it because I was a big fan of Henson, still am. And, and in fact, when we did Short Circuit 2, I consulted with Jim Henson because we were going to Canada <laughs> and he knew puppeteers there. And we, we put our puppeteers together for Short Circuit 2. Uh, it was Tim Blaney, who was the voice of, but he didn't come on the, on the location. We used Canadian puppeteers that uh, were recommended to us by Jim Henson. Jim came to the set you know, and saw us and we had a nice meeting and, you know, it, it's just a shame because I had, uh, you know, always loved what they did. And they, at one time they were looking for somebody to uh, run their shop, the uh, fabrication part at about the time I was closing all effects down and they just, you know, they, they hated me. They thought I, I had stolen their thing when all it was, was I outbid them and built better stuff based on their brilliant designs. So, you know, I just wanted to clear the air about that. No, I'm glad you did, because there's a lot of, like, craziness surrounding that movie. Well, they also, you see a lot of the blurbs, they, you know, like, oh, the we hated the Turtles and Ninja Turtles 4, three. was it 3, Ninja Turtles 3. We hated the Turtles and Ninja Turtles 3. They, they looked like ass, you know? It's like you, you get all these comments and stuff. And really, when you look at the technical... Uh, the technical execution of the suits, they were much better. You couldn't see where, like the original ones had these big nets underneath that they looked out of. And I think ours were much better. Now, 
in Rick's defense, and I'll let him talk about this, we really wanted to go. We wanted to make them more like now they're a little older, they're a little more buff, they're, they're, you know. We want we didn't want, but the the production insisted that we, we that they're like you know teenagers and they're you know so perpetual teenagers. yeah perpetual teenagers and and uh, and uh, Rick's guys and Rick you know supervised the thing to give them they said not different not different you know that was not their, better same not better same <laughs> want them to look same yeah want any the audience that no one to know the difference yeah. Which, how do you do that when you don't even have the real thing to look at? Yeah, sure. I think I think we ended up with a foot. Somebody through the underground had a foot. Kicked, had a yeah. foot that we were able to look at, and that's. <laughs> and uh, I'm Dwight. When we were first approached by this, he's going. So we just sculpt one turtle and make different colored bandanas, right? Because that's from you know a layman's stand viewpoint, they were all the same basic turtles with just yeah. different colored bandanas. As I looked at closer at pictures from the movie and watched the movies, I started to see different characteristics of each turtle. They were they were individual, but not so much. I, I wanted mine to be a little more individual. So you see the form of the guy, whether, no matter what color the mask is, you know what it, who it is. Raphael had scarring and stuff on him. Leonardo had a little bit of a, a longer face and just different characters to their to their faces that I think I picked up on. And maybe that's what the audience didn't like. They wanted them to be all the same. And 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 even the producers uh complained that my paint jobs were a little more vibrant and there were spots. And we were just kind of matching what we saw in pictures with some of the spots and stuff on them. So it wasn't just a a flat green thing. And they kept saying more olive. And I and I came to realize that the suits that they were used to looking at had been just beaten to hell. They'd been dragged through the dirt and they'd been repatched and so many times that they were just dirty. That was the color. I'm sure this makes a difference. And I only kind of realized it in recent years is that the third Turtles movie is the only one that takes place in daylight. Yeah. The first one and the second, well, the first one is dark naturally the second one is mostly dark. There's something very strange about that movie where it seems like all the stuff that you would see under their necks. And well, yeah, the tint, it's the almost box. like the tint in that movie is turned way down, like almost to the point where it's like, I remember my, my like, I literally have to change the tint setting as when I was growing up on the second uh-huh. movie just to watch it properly. So like, the third movie is, I would say, 85% daylight. So it's the first time you're seeing these suits right. in the sun, which I think tends to. High, like there's a lot of the first movie hidden in shadow, a lot, and I think that I wonder if that I wonder if that makes a difference. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. It's kind very of... hard to try to make them more seamless, as far as the way the necks fit more of a tight like turtleneck that overlapped that underlapped the uh, the chest panel and so forth. And uh, we even went as far. There was a scene that we shot in the movie, but wasn't included where uh, Michelangelo is riding a horse and he gets hit on the head by a tree branch, which knocks his helmet. He's wearing a ninja or the uh, Uh, samurai samurai helmet, and it knocks the helmet off. And we see him for the first time without his mask on, with a big lump like growing like in the cartoons, like where he got hit. Oh, my God. And that was... It was a lot of work because that meant the actor had to be glued into this thing and blended in so you could see him laying and there wasn't going to be any camouflage netting hanging out or any of that stuff. We couldn't cheat it. So we did that shot. I was real proud of it. And the producers came to us the next day and we can't include it. It's, he looks too scary <laughs> without the mask on. Now that we see like the bare eyes and sure. what they just the eliminating the mask. And it was a special uh, sculpture that had to be done. You sure. know, in a way it kind of looked like a, a more re- refined baby Godzilla. Remember Son of Godzilla, how he had kind of that, sure. it, it kind of, to me, looked a little bit like that, but in a cooler way. Yeah. But they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, leave that in the movie. It's just, it's too weird. We're going to scare the kids. <laughs> Can you, you know? explain how one, how many people were on one turtle, how one turtle would work? Well, we would have, uh, well, first of all, the, the, it was, 
the the bid that I turned in was three point six million. The Hensons, I understand, wanted five. Um, so they passed because of what we previously talked about. But we actually so there's four stuntmen. And their heads were uh, stunt heads. They had no articulation. They were the martial artist turtles that right. were going to do all the kicking and yeah. the flipping over and stuff. And then there were four, four actors. The original, all the original actors. Stephen Ho was, I think he was a stunt guy, but he was one of the turtles, right, Stephen? Stephen Ho. Um, that, anyway, they, they had the four actors. Well, we had to build eight complete suits for each one. That's seventy two suits. And the reason you do that is one utility stunt man that had to have one suit of each all one four of them. right so when you talk about how many people are involved so you've got day one you use two suits up because at lunchtime you get the guy out of the suit it's ringing wet with sweat and he takes his lunch and his underwear and then he gets back in the suit for the second half of the day that's two suits the next day those two suits go to the drying room we set up with the heaters and the thing you you end back them you know put some lysol or end back on them so they don't mildew and you stick them in the dryer while two new suits are being used then the third day those two suits go from the drying room to paint and repair the two previous day suits go to, to the drying room and now you're using two. So you're into six suits of use for each stuntman and each character by day three, you know, and then um, rotation by day four, you're starting over with the repairs and you just keep going like that until something gets so beat up, you can't use it anymore. And then we had, you know, a couple spare suits. So, so just in that process alone, there's, you know, eight or 10 people involved, right? Um, in terms of each puppet, each uh, uh, turtle, either stunt or uh, uh, a hero had a tender. There would be one person that would kind of always be with them. Uh, we had the hair costumer. Uh, costumer, right? Who And they had the blow dryers with no heat. They could blow air in there to give them fresh air. And they were always with them, guiding them around and stuff like that. Um, and then as far as the puppeteering goes with the head, that was one person would do that with our performance system. And the reason they could do it is because once the head was made. Do what? Do the puppeteering of the face. Oh. The, the puppeteering of the face was done by one person. There wasn't like five puppeteers doing things. And the reason it works so good is because on our system, once again, ALLFX on YouTube, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 controller, you'll see what it is. Um, you design, you, you build a bunch of expressions intuitively with the, um, with the with nod, you just you you pose all of the servos to look angry, and you name that angry. Then you pose one to baby be blink, where it's just the eye blinking. You name that blink. Then you oh, pose grandma. one to be uh, happy, and you make him smile. <laughs> you put all you know. You do it. You call that happy. You end up with like twenty or thirty expressions. Now you have fifteen axes and one extra one down here for program, but 15 axes of potentiometers where you can put anything anywhere you want it. So for the talking, there was a, a thing you'd put your hand in like a sock puppet. And then again, I, I, I admittedly saw this in a magazine article and thought, yeah, we're going to do that of what the Henson group had done. Um, and, uh, and then you had on your left hand, you had a bunch of stuff. So you could pull up like the expression evil and let it go. And, the, and then you could turn smile and let it go. And it would be proportional. If you did them both at the same time, it was an evil smile. Okay. Everything, everything meshed. And by looking at that video, you'll, you'll know a lot more. So there, so there were 72 suits and 10 hero heads, right? Right, right. There were 10 hero heads. Yeah, 10 yeah. hero heads. Yeah, and, and on that, we had to, like, make the servos for the jaw because if you if you look at people talking, you don't realize how fast the jaw moves. Sure. And, you know, at the time, mostly model airplane servos were being used for animatronic stuff, and we, you, there was just nothing compact enough and big enough to get the kind of really rapid movement you needed, so we just built our own. Um but uh, and then there were I think we had eight shells because those were pretty durable. They didn't take the same or maybe and we might Did have you say 72 suits, 72 suits. Holy shit. Complete sets of uh, not the heads There were 10 hero heads. And I think we had like eight 
stunt heads, but 72 left arms of each turtle. So that was, you know, uh, 16 of, and cause they were four different molds, four different, completely right. different sets of molds. Right. And, and I put an oven in the, I, we had a big walk-in oven and we made racks where we could get an entire single turtle of all their molds on a rack and four racks would fit in the oven. So I think we were making eight suits a day. Once we got good at it, we were starting one in the morning and then putting one in before we'd go home. And in the morning, they'd take that out and put it, you know, just the raw rubber. Yeah. Just the raw rubber. That's before the paint, you know, the, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. Who, Who delivers the lines of, the character because i know they're dubbed later by the various voice actors inside the head the actor and the puppeteer did them at the same time wow okay now now one problem we did have that you know uh, in full disclosure that we didn't do that great was the communication between the puppeteer and the turtles um we wanted to go dual duplex which means you can talk and listen at the same time just like you're on the phone or like we're doing now and we had bought some off the shelf stuff that just wasn't working and we had to go with uh we went with radio so they had to push to talk and that was a little something they weren't used to i always in retrospect wonder why the production didn't just put us in in touch with the sound guy who did it because they, they just used like uh mics radio mics um on and and you know had a sound guy just dedicated to that but it was probably a matter of money they didn't want to pay for another guy so we just kind of struggled through but you know we got it working fine but um but it 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 wasn't as good but the thing is that when during a rehearsal um they would both sort of be saying the lines at the same time you know and 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 uh and doing the expression and the puppet, puppeteer could kind of guide them in the scene physically like don't get too close to that wall because their their vision was limited yeah oh yeah yeah couldn't see that well so the puppeteer could help guide them around you know three steps and you're going to bump into that table right go to your left you know little things like that they could be talking i mean they could that. see through the little slits under the bandanas yeah. But that's very limited vision, you know. We didn't have like onboard monitors at the time, and you know, which is what people use now. But um, oh, now uh, they keep all of it and just make it CG, which I think is like I, I feel like the law, like the I don't know the uh, the I miss the technology of of that because there's something tangible about it that we don't. Well, have. you know, it's it's really coming back in a big way. I did a little <laughs> over at Legacy Effects for a couple of years. I worked on. Uh, and uh, I built, uh, I, I was a mechanical designer for the, a big fish that was just used in Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, I, I did a, a big 15 foot tall mechanics for a robot on Stargirl, which is uh, a series. And they, they used the actual robot for like when he's in the shop working on the thing and stuff. But as soon as he gets in it and it takes off, it's CGI, and I must say they do it flawlessly. Oh yeah, I mean the technology's there. I just I think like I just wish there was more of a mix than there is. Well, they I, do that at Legacy. I can say you know the whole Star Wars thing is, and in fact when they were doing when they first built a Grudu, you know, and they had done some screen tests, uh, the director really liked it, you know. Oh and yeah, the, Baby Yoda. They've done a nice job bringing that back with right, that. And, and the and the and the visual effects guys then were showing some of their tests and. And the, um, the director said, what's that? He goes, uh, and they said, well, we thought, we, you know, we saw it would be better. He goes, no, you don't get it. He goes, this is it. This is this is the money right here. We're using, in fact, we don't even need CGI. We're going to use the, you know, and they, all of the, just about, you know, that, that show has been a boon for, um, for uh, 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 legacy effects because they just do all of the, all of the things are, animatronic and the state of the art now of animatronics in terms of the servos we use and stuff they're network servos they're not model airplane servos anymore so they have real they're expensive as hell but they work really good and they're all programmable and there's less wiring and that you know you can it's come a long way so it's gotten better and 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 with the use of silicone instead of foam latex rubber and techniques people have developed, you know, they can make some pretty damn good looking characters now that are being used more and more in movies and actors like it because 
you don't have to pretend, you know, Real, look, yeah, see the guy in the green suit with the ping pong balls all over him. That's, you know, Donatello, you know, they don't. So sure it works, you know, technology works, but, um, you know. I wonder if, uh, I doubt Baby Yoda would have caught on as much if it was pure CG. I, I don't think it would have. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so cute and endearing and it's real, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and the, the beauty is you shoot the shot, you look at it and you like it, you're done. Yeah. You move on to the next thing. You know, you know speaking of turtles, I, uh, I would love to hear any memories you guys have, like from the set, either things that went really right or really wrong. Uh, uh, Dwight, starting with you, is there anything that comes to mind, like memories from the set? Well, I did, uh, you know, one thing I did new on this was uh, a lot a lot of the lip servos, I used a uh, mushroom lock Velcro to install them. So you could, if something happened, you could just pop it out, pop it in the <coughs> servo. And uh, unfortunately, with the, uh, the way the controller was so good, we didn't burn out any servos on the whole show. So... <laughs> We could have replaced them real quick. We yeah, I could have replaced them real quick. Yeah, it was really remarkable that in terms of the durability of Dwight's heads, you know, which were really the only mechanical part, other than the splinter puppet was was puppeteered like from. Oh the yeah, other. let's talk about splinter a little bit. I forgot how um how was that all put together? Because he was he had a smaller part in this one, so I'm guessing how many there wasn't a lot of him, right? You didn't have twenty five of him, right? No, we just had one of him. We okay. There's one. Yeah, he was just a, he was a puppet. Um, he, he had, you know, you could get a full picture of him, but basically from the waist up is mostly what they shot. Yeah. And, and uh, his arms had a control system, just like I did Johnny Five, really, where you have. Oh, sure. Connected at the elbow is a rod that comes down and there's a hand control that can do wrist rotation, wrist deflection and fingers. Oh, and cool. You know, so you would just literally be mechanically attaching the puppeteer to the to to the splinter. Other than that, it was all done. Didn't the puppeteer end up doing the voice for the movie? I don't in know that, in that well, particular instance. I know in short circuit certainly that, happened, but I don't. I don't. The guy know. that puppeteered the splinter, splinter, I think, ended up doing the the voice for the movie. Mm. I don't remember who did it originally. I'm forgetting who it was. Originally, in the first two movies, it was Kevin Clash. I don't know. Who, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank as to who did it for the third. So he was the puppeteer also, and he did the voice? Yes. Yeah, in the first two, yeah. Okay, well, they kind of did it the same way with ours. Oh, okay, um, cool. And, um, yeah, that's actually how I got to get into SAG, Eric. Uh, I think everybody was so busy puppeteering the uh, turtles, they, they wanted to shoot Splinter, and so Bill Bryant and I... Got to be SAG that day. Yeah, yeah I, nice. I, I think I was whittling the tail, but they ended up not using it. <laughs> I remember that. I, I missed out on my SAG. <laughs> it was supposed to be the tail wiggler. No, it was just a great uh, experience in terms of uh, getting the show, working as a team to, to make the stuff work, and then it just worked so well. Um, that the logistics of it were very difficult and only someone like Eric with his training and background could have pulled all this together how the trucks that had to go up to location and have everything that we could possibly need on it we had to go up ahead of time to the location set up the machine shop figure out where everything was going to be hypothetical movie making you know let's here's a empty warehouse what do you guys need to, to make your job work? You know, the drawing rooms, like he was talking about, the paint touch-up areas. We had to kind of think of all this stuff in advance and have it already built by the time five months later we came up with our trucks and all our stuff and went to work. And uh, so that part of it was more than just showing up with your makeup kit every morning. You know, it was a lot of logistics. Yeah, and one of, one of the things that w we were a little miffed about at the time, but, you know, we were, we were just loving life, so it didn't really bother us. Uh, it, it seemed the director was kind of afraid of the animatronic ones. He thought that they were going to be problematic, I guess. I don't know. And we, we were always fighting for shots where he wanted to just throw stunt heads on something and, and we'd say, no, man, you know, we've this got is a moment. You're going to waste this. Yeah. Moment. You know, you, you only get a shot at this. We're ready for this. <clears throat> we even had one thing where um, 
they were down in this ditch down in the, it was real hard to get the controllers. So the control, the puppeteers were about a 10th of a mile away with monitors. These things had such good range. They were microwave. Actually, we had like a mile range of these things. And, um, and, and the puppeteers did the puppeteering from the road, you know, with the monitors and it worked just as well. They could have been in a truck the whole time, you know, it was pretty cool. Um, one, one thing I will say too, is that because of that, um, you know, we kind of found the mechanical guys, a lot of times had some time on their hands, you know, and, and, and things were going so smooth and we all started getting into RC cars, you know, okay. the point that I'd see somebody working on their car. I'd say, listen, I had a meeting. I said, here's the deal. We've got these 10 hero heads. We've got 72 suits. We've got the splinter and we've got all this stuff. When we come in in the morning, I basically made checklists. You got to go when everything is working, when all of the heads are up, when everything's working and we know they could call us and we wouldn't have to do anything but go. Then you can play with your RC cars. And it turned out where we spent a lot of hours. I even had a company come in and make a track on the, <laughs> on the parking lot. And, you know, it's just that stuff works so well that we just had, you know, rather than spend our time repairing stuff, we were making RC cars and stuff. I'd really go out cool. fishing on one of the piers off the Columbia River where the warehouse was at, where we were filming. And I could, I had a radio with me so I could go out at lunchtime and be fishing. And they'd say, okay, it's time. We got to, we're, they're calling us back in. I'd jump in my van and just drive a little bit, get back to where we were. So we, we took advantage. It was a beautiful location. Yeah, it was great. Right off the, uh, what yeah. was it? The Columbia River mm -hmm. yeah. in Astoria. Uh, it was, you know, it was a beautiful summer. It, it got pretty warm. We had a, a Japanese village that they built up in the hillside. On, uh, yeah. Up trees and there was one day when something happened on set and and something caught on fire and eric jumped in and, and grabbed the hose and well no the, the, okay i wasn't i was not going to say tell this <laughs> one but i'm going to do it now i was like you know on a mountain bike ride and and i was um i i went down to the set i thought i'm gonna see how the guys are doing on set because i was prepping something else or whatever and I get up there and they're rolling seven cameras, a camera, Mark, B camera, Mark. And I, I, I asked them, I said, what are they doing? And the prop guy says, oh, they're doing the obligatory flaming arrow into the thatched roof hut shot. <laughs> okay. So I say, oh, and so then I walk by and there's a guy, the local water truck guy. He's got, he's got a t white towel laid out and all the parts of the carburetor on his pump are there. I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm fixing this damn carburetor. The pump won't work right. And then I look over and I see two firemen walking down the road with coffee in their hands and they're full turnouts. I say, where's your guy's truck? And they said, oh, it's about a quarter mile up the road. C camera, Mark, D camera, Mark, you know, <laughs> there's literally no fire protection. And, and I, I run out, I go run, they're, they're marking the last camera. I go, cut, 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 you got no fire protection. The prop guy comes around the other corner. He says, cut, 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 you got cables on the path of the horses. The, the four turtles were riding up on horses yeah. after, the, after the arrow came into the hut, right? So Stuart got so pissed, he takes his leather-bound script and throws it on the ground. Who the fuck are you to tell me not to? I said, sir, please, you, you don't understand. You don't have any fire protection. Let me, let me fix this for you. And I wasn't the effects guy. I was the turtle supervisor. But I, I gave the effects. I said, what the hell are you doing? Are you kidding me? And he said, oh, these guys, blah, blah. So I said, listen. I'll tell you when you can shoot. Cause he was so pissed at me. He wanted to shoot right away. I said, you can't shoot. You got no water to put out the fire. So I got, I, you know, I'm backing up. I'm in shorts and thongs. I'm backing up the fire truck and they, they got, okay, now run your hoses all the way around the, 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 shack and then i get the water truck guy puts the carburetor now run two so we had three hoses that went around we charged them we tested them we figured it out. i said now you can shoot we shot that shot arrow goes into the thing they they went on way longer than they had to um the hut next door burst in the flames because of the heat 
<laughs> At which point I just yelled, cut, and we go in there. It took every freaking drop of water we had to get that fire out. Every, we we almost ran out of water. If if uh, if I had just if he hadn't done that, the whole village would have burned. It, people would have been lucky to get out alive. I mean, it was a five acre village with you know extra sleeping in the huts, and I mean it, it could have been really bad. Not to mention it was a drought in the national forest, so mm. it would have been it would have been bad. So you know, you you. you I've, I've had a career out of trying to do the right things and being safe. And I've, you know, I frankly made some enemies because, you know, they think I'm, I'm stepping on their bailiwick when, you know, I'm just trying to keep everybody safe. And honestly, I don't know if, if they ever even realized the danger they, they would have been in, you know, a lot of the crew came up to me after and said, thanks, man, boy, that would have been awful, you know? So that, that was one thing that, I guess you could say went well because nobody got hurt, you know. <laughs> How much did you guys have to coordinate with um, costuming? Because the turtles <laughs> look excellent in those samurai costumes. Like, they look fantastic in those. Did, did you guys, was there much we had to do with them or no? We do with those, except we had to give them forms for them to fit them on. And uh, who was it? Uh, Dodie? Pam, 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 Pamela Shaw was. Did she work with us on that? Pamela worked with <laughs> Because I know Dodie Shepherd was the costume supervisor. Mm -hmm. I don't know if what she had if she had anything to do with the, the samurai stuff. Was it because yeah. they obviously had to be built bigger, you know? Sure, yeah, fit on our stuff. So I don't re really remember. Who they yeah, were. I think technically the whole movie, all the departments did good. The art department, <laughs> I thought it was really well done. You know, is there any memories from filming in the uh, sewer set? Because I know that was. There's that opening scene where everybody's, they're all dancing turtles. I don't know if you, is there, it may not be anything to say, but if there's anything about that set that comes to mind. Not really. Okay. Uh, I think it was, was that one of the first things we did? Uh, one of the last things we did. Maybe it was, yeah. I just was so impressed when the, the, the turtles started doing high three, high threes with their feet. You know, they they go all the way over with their yeah. feet, and slap their feet, and you know, Stephen Ho could like do a backflip wearing the <clears throat> suits. I mean, those guys were amazing. Oh yeah, what they could do and all that. Like how much? I mean, that stuff weighed quite a bit too. I it know was it was like eighty good. pounds when they were dripping wet with the stunt suits. No, the stunt suits were like maybe thirty. You, you, with the with the mechanical head on and all the motors in the back, yeah. you couldn't jump yeah. over right. like that. But the stunt suits we made. Poseable. The faces just mm -hmm. had armature wire, so you could make them pose, but they didn't move. And uh, bigger slits for them to see out of, of course. Sure. And then the shells didn't have the the land uh, motor in it or whatever. The the, the, uh, the telemetry system. Yeah. Telemetry system, which was pretty big and heavy in yeah. those days. And what, like a year later, they came up. I mean, we, we could have gone small. We had four months to build them. Four months to design, build, write the software. Get the trucks loaded. You know, four months is all we had. So we, we took our best shot at it. They were heavier than they had to be, but the guys didn't really care. They were happy to have the job, you know. Sure. And um, the thing, yeah, in fact, when we first tested it, we took one of our, our units, we put it on a in, in the metal drawer in one of the electronics um, room uh, work tables. There was a metal drawer. We put it in there, put a, a, a aluminum tray on top, and Bob Wilcox turned on a vibrating sander and set it on top of the tray dancing around. And then he set one of his guys out in the car, and he got like – a half a mile away before the thing lost signal, you know? So oh, we, we knew we had some good telemetry there. Um, you I know, know there's stories of like the first, the first couple of movies where like um, every time an airplane, airplane flew by, their faces would go out of control. Well, well that's what I'm talking about. They, like like I, I copied as close as I could the form function of the left and right hand things. I, I give the Henson group all the credit for coming up with that configuration. I didn't copy it because I had one of theirs. I just saw in a magazine what it looked like, and we did our version yeah, of they it. They had tons of behind-the-scenes videos and stuff. I remember all that stuff, like, back in the day. They, well, I, I never – I didn't – maybe after the fact. It wasn't like – my, my point it was it wasn't, like, secret technology. No, it wasn't, but it, it, it wasn't, and it was. They didn't okay. – they never let you get too close to it. You know, they – 
But but the the the, the, uh, the form function was brilliant. But just like you say, when a plane had come over, they they get a lot of they constantly had interference. That's why they had. You don't see I, it because you only see the ninety the ninety minutes of cuts. That good work. takes. Yeah. But that's why Terry Morris was so upset. I think because <laughs> he just was he had had it with. I don't know what it was really. You'd have to ask Terry. I just know it enabled us to get the job just because I made it look like we were total idiots in building electronics, you know? Any other See, memories stand out to you guys from that set? Because uh, that, that's about everything I had for you. But is there anything else that stands out? Any? Well, speaking of uh, of Son of Godzilla, <laughs> uh, Terry Morse, it, it just a kind of a little tidbit of uh, trivia. His, his father was the one that produced the uh, American footage for Godzilla with Raymond Burr. Oh, just wow. Connection to Godzilla and Ninja Turtles. Yeah, it just happened. Oh, that's very cool. His, you know, our producer's father was the producer of the American scenes for Godzilla. So that's a little trivia. You know, as you know, Godzilla the movie was made, and then an American saw it and said, "Hey, you know, let's hack on some And they just Raymond made Burr. the whole thing of Raymond Burr it was all done after the fact. You know pretty much. And you see in those movies where he's speaking English and they're speaking Japanese with lip sync. It's always kind of amazed me. But you had, think of anything else, Dwight? Mm, not really. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I mean, we had a great crew experience there, you know. It was, and yeah, uh, no, what, what, uh, after the, the set was struck and everything, did, what, what became of all the suits? I'm guessing, oh, you guys wouldn't have hold on to that. That would be the property. Well, well we kept all of the uh, control systems and the hero heads. Oh, cool. They wanted the suits, you know. I, I know somebody who has a hero head. Uh, you know, I learned uh, way too late in my career. I, I didn't at all, you know, capitalize as I should have, like on short circuit and the Energizer Bunny. I wasn't oh, even... Yeah. I tried to get SAG on Energizer Bunny. SAG wouldn't back me up. And, hmm. you know, had I had a mentor like uh, like Stan Winston or, um, you know, somebody, I, I would have known that. So I just didn't know. So, you know, but as far as the work goes and the camaraderie of the crew and stuff, we just had a great time. It was I, nice. I still have Michelangelo uh, suit posed oh. in my uh, trophy room at home. Uh, you should have worn it to the uh, the Zoom. <laughs> uh, you should have worn it to the Zoom. <laughs> no, you can't wear it. It's 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 posed no, on the fiberglass uh, mannequin of the actor that wore him. That's very cool. That played him. So at the end of the film, I just wanted to make a display thing for my own self. That's I, awesome. Is it still have the hero head and everything on it? It's got the hero head. It's a mechanical head. The the skin is rotting pretty badly though because sure. the skins were so thin to cover the mechanics that uh, rubber when it's like that, even though it was reinforced, uh, doesn't last very long. It doesn't last for the production, thicker, right? Like Thicker parts of the, the, the arms and stuff are still a little spongy, but the th very thin parts like that just, yeah, just they disintegrate after a while. And it's been kept in a cool, dark place and, um, that's so still my, very cool to have. That's, my, grand, that's cool. my grandkids get their picture taken with them. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. So I've had some people talk about wanting to buy the suit as a display thing. Oh, yeah. Movie, and it'd be very difficult to ship. Sure. Very, I mean, people like me would love to have that kind of stuff. So yeah, you know, <laughs> some, some guy told me that, oh, yeah, the, somebody bought a suit for $6,000. That's all it should cost. And they showed me a picture, and it looked like maybe that suit you were talking about that was just kind of on hangers and just kind of a stunt suit that had no form to it. It was just the pieces hanging. Oh off. yeah, there's some rough ones out there. You know, something like that. And it's my Leonardo, like... and it's got the nunchucks and all the. the oh, that's shit. awesome! It's a complete turtle. And, that's uh, very cool. Yeah, the hero heads had, must have cost us like twenty grand a piece to build. Mm -hmm. you know? Sure. They were pretty incredible. Uh, my last question, and Rick, maybe you just answered this for you, but uh, is is for each of you who your favorite turtle is and why? If you have any favorites, I don't know if you do. I just I don't know why I made Michelangelo. That's my grandson's favorite. Just sure. turned out that it was that That's... color, and that was the one I had more to do with sculpting than any of them. But oh, okay, uh, cool. Like I said, we thought they were all the same one. Yeah. <laughs> just different colored wardrobe and and i must put in a plug for bill bryan 
who was kind of spearheaded our costume end of this whole thing. He was the one that decided where the snaps go and where the zippers went and how to put this whole thing together in a realistic and supervised the, uh, the, the dressers and all the people that had to maintain the people in the suits. He's probably most known for being the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man and in, in Ghostbusters. Oh, cool. And he's a brilliant artist. And uh, we were lucky enough to get him for this show. And, uh, you know, without him, it wouldn't. We had all all the department heads were very instrumental in making it work. And if if we didn't have all the combined experience that we did, there's no way we could have done it nearly as even though it's the shit one. <laughs> I don't I mean I don't I, I really love that movie. I've I, seen a couple of comments more, where more people like them. It was more yeah. kid friendly, you know, you know, I had kids. I you mean, know, that was a director from the studio anyway. The second one's a lot more kid-friendly. And I I, I, I really love that movie. I, I genuinely do. I, I watch it with my kid now, too. And uh, so. Um, wait, do you have a favorite turtle of the three? Of the four? The third one is the last of the live-action ones, except for the television ones that you guys did. Oh, yeah. uh, they haven't. Every movie after that's been CGI or, yep. or something. Like yeah, that. Dwight went on with the Kyoto Brothers and did the... Uh, characters for the tv series that was shown. oh no shit i just talked to the guy the the guys who wrote that show and i've been they were saying oh i should talk to the kyoto brothers next so that's so interesting to know so wait dwight do you oh, have any well, that one too <laughs> <laughs> oh no so what was that so you after this you went on to work on the next mutation movie the show yes oh how, was, what was that experience like i think it was a few years later yeah yeah because that was 97 and this was 93 so that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah so we had to recreate Eric's uh, control system, sort of. Yeah, like a, a, a simpler version of it. Simpler version of it. And, but still, uh, it was cool. Yeah. But uh, I would say my favorite character was... Oh, the, wait a minute. Uh, Are you telling me you copied my... How <laughs> <laughs> dare you? Got the secret he formula. stole it from me. Wait a minute. He was about yeah. to tell him us what his uh, favorite character was. So Michelangelo is the red... The red one? Orange. Orange. Orange? The yeah. red one was Raphael. Okay. Well, okay. Uh, mine was Raphael because I was in the three-man team that took care of Raphael on set. Oh, you were? You were a dresser. I was a dresser and water bottle guy and wrangler. Fan person to shove a fan up in his face when it was... Yeah. Uh, they had to breathe. They had to do that pesky breathing thing. Gordon Roberts was the puppeteer for Donatello. For uh, which one? Michelangelo. Michelangelo. Yeah, he he was somebody that I had met on Short Circuit too, and for that reason, that was my favorite. I I knew Gordy the best. Oh, cool! It. All right, guys, that really covers it. Sorry, I kept you a little longer than I said, but uh, this was a huge pleasure. Like I said, I love the movie and your guys' work on it, so I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks yeah, for caring. Thank, thank, thank you. you, man. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye, bye. bye.